This week, the city is squashing requests for data. We've got a walkway that had no problem freeing itself from the bureaucracy. And freedom of information comes to a head at City Hall. Not sure if I can get up there, though, if the elevator's closed. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 23. Uh, we had a good episode last week with Michael Jans, our first real guest spot uh, with both of us here. So if you didn't listen to that, go travel back in time and take a listen after this episode, of course. And while you're there, give us a rating. Wow. The plugs at the start <laughs> of the episode. That's ambitious. Let's get them in there. Uh Let's start off with the rapid fire segment. Uh, the government of Alberta has announced a new $33 million interchange to connect 65 Avenue in Leduc with the airport's perimeter road. Uh, this piece of road will apparently create 4,300 new permanent jobs. Those aren't construction jobs. Uh, the release is scant on precise details about how, but it was a press release, so it must be true. Clearly, the city of Edmonton made a critical misstep in their innovation hub. If they wanted it to be a success, they should have just installed an interchange on Jasper Avenue, and all the new innovation jobs will have just been created by that interchange. As the Oilers bottom out their division and lose to the worst team in the league, they decided the time was right to fire general manager Peter Chiarelli. The team now has a laser-focused drive. McDavid has been running practice drills of what the team should do when their team eventually wins the Stanley Cup. And they have all been penciled in to meet on Xbox Live during the playoffs. Photo radar tickets issued by the city have decreased 27% in two years. However, commenters on the internet have ascribed this simply to reduced enforcement hours. Uh, the cash grab is obviously leaving big stack of dollar dollar billsio on the table by choosing not to staff trucks, causing budget shortfalls, because they have determined that the best way to mask being a cash grab is to simply grab less cash than you say you're going to grab. Linda Cochran is playing some six-dimensional chess here. Speaking Municipally is a member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. This week, we're going to tell you about the Edmonton Community Foundation, which acts as a bridge between donors and charities to create strong, vibrant community for generations to come. You can start an endowment fund yourself or with a group, and once it reaches $10,000, it can start distributing funds. Another thing the Community Foundation does is Vital Signs, which is an annual checkup they conduct in partnership with the Edmonton Social Planning Council, and it measures how the community is doing. You can learn about that and all of the other things the foundation does at ecfoundation.org. So this week, we've got a few topics on the table. Uh, there was an item that came up this week called Commonwealth Walkways. And when you said we have to talk about it this week, I'm like, and what is that? <laughs> it caught my eye while I was going through the agendas, as I do every week, uh, in part because we discussed in our last episode this idea that some projects, for whatever reason, run into some bureaucracy at City Hall and can't get past council and administration pointing back at forth at one another about who should take the lead. Uh, Commonwealth Walkways, this is an initiative of a British nonprofit called the Outdoor Trust. Basically, these are walkways that have these posts along the walkway. These posts have computer chips in them that can be loaded with content and you use a smartphone app while you're on this trail and you can access the stories or interpretive material that have been placed inside these markers. So it's sort of like a digital museum on a walkway. And it's right got little geocaching type points that you can check in with your phone. 
Right, which is a pretty cool idea, actually. Like, I think that's interesting. Uh, what caught my eye about the report is that it said a group of citizen volunteers uh, approached the city last year to get some help with this. So they approached the city to ask about where the route could be, help them identify the route, um, and then also asked for permission to go ahead and do something with that route, and and then further asked for the labor to come from the city of Edmonton to install the markers. So you might think that administration would say, I don't know, we need to get permission for that or you got to go through a process two or three years. Yeah, no, they just said, sure, we'll do all of that. We'll do it for nothing. We're going to throw in 30 to 60 hours for installation and another 50 hours to help you plan the local content and the route. Uh, And that's what the city has done. And they went to council basically to tell them that this is what they've done. I'm coming into this completely blind. I'd never heard of a Commonwealth walkway before you said, oh, Troy, we have to talk about this. So I opened up the report and it's a short report. It's like a page and a half. Right. And I read it and it's Commonwealth walkways exist. We're dedicating staff time to it. Thank you. Now receive this for information. It wasn't we're asking permission. It's no, no, we already have budget. We're going to fully fund this thing as administration. They went to bat for commonwealth walkways like this is above and beyond anything administration does even like at council's direction Uh, why it seemed like that anyway right i mean i guess you could say in the grand scheme of things 100 hours is not that much time but still to basically say we're going to bend over backwards to help this group of volunteer citizens well it made me think who is this volunteer group of citizens? Oh, is this investigative journalism happening well, right now? Well, not really. It's not that hard to find out, I guess. One of the people that is leading the committee, so I've not actually seen who the full committee is, but is leading it is Dave Mowat, who you may know as the former CEO of ATB Financial, the man who led the Light the Bridge campaign for the High Level Bridge. The other names on the delegation that went to council were N. Anderson, G. Heaton, and R. Smith, with a Y. Yeah. Um, was recently in the news. I can think of uh, an R. Smith with a Y. Uh, I can only think of one. Yeah. Uh, but full disclosure, it's just R. Smith. So we don't know for sure. Maybe they have these in Nashville as well. I'm not sure. Uh, but it did make me wonder, okay, is there anything special about the group that went to administration in, in this particular case with this project that they didn't have to go through any kind of a process? Do they just know people and that made it easier to do? I mean... As we said, it sounds like kind of a cool idea. I'm not, you know, opposed to doing this if it's going to add something to our river valley and isn't going to be intrusive or anything like that. But uh, it seems like there's a bit of unfairness here between different ideas that are brought forward. You're often more reticent to take pot shots than I am, so I'll gladly do it. (laughs) The thing is, people often assume like politicians are bought and paid for and politics is a pay to play game. I really don't find that with our municipal council. If you talk to any of the councillors, they can't be bought simply because no one wants to give them enough money that would ever like sway their decision. The amount of money you need to change your opinion, way bigger than the amount that city councillors are getting. So I really don't think city councillors are bribed or influences. That said, administration, who, as you know, I think runs this city without council's oversight at all, they see mow it and they're like yeah this is a influential businessman we've worked with him in the past and he you know donates money to the city whatever we're going to work with him and we're going to make sure he's a happy individual and when the high levels of the bureaucracy are basically not necessarily caving to bribes but caving to influence uh, right that's a significant problem because it highlights exactly 
who can build our city. And it's not going to be individuals with great ideas like the high level line or the Edmonton project. It's going to be the people who have started multinational businesses in Edmonton and just get a rubber stamp. Right. And clearly he, as you said, he has led successful projects before. He's had some interaction with the city. Those factors are important things to consider if we're going to try to minimize the amount of time that the city uh, staff are putting into supporting an initiative. But the key thing is that it should be treated equally and we should be able to see other ideas come forward, go through some sort of a similar process and get treated fairly. Yeah. If we have a process where it says if you've done a project for the city, you get carte blanche to do another project for the city. Good. Just write it in a policy and make it a policy. So what happened at council is uh, they just accepted the recommendation and received it for information. Yeah, there was no debate or discussion. But there was some debate and discussion, not in council, but out of council. And it seemed to center around one Mac mail or as the journalists like to say, Edmonton parent. Yes. Um, yes. So what what did you do this week, Matt? So my daughter turned one recently, which is uh, pretty exciting in our house. And one of the great things uh, about turning one, not really that great, you have to get shots, immunization. So we were traveling from downtown where we live to the health center and we took the train to get there. And when we got to Stadium Station, we, with our stroller, discovered that the elevator was completely shut down. They had the big yellow markers outside the elevator and there was a sign pasted on the elevator that said uh you should travel to the next lrt station as the detour and so that seemed a little insane to me and you know we were it was kind of funny but we took a picture of it and i took a picture of my wife kind of frowning you know holding the stroller or, or standing with the stroller in front uh and then we went on and because we were both there we were were able-bodied like we took my daughter out of the stroller we carried her and the stroller down separately and we we went on but had we been in a wheelchair or something like that like travel to the next lrt station really so i just tweeted this and i said is that an acceptable solution and people latched onto that yeah so you just tweeted it and then, of course, sent press releases to all media oh, organizations yeah, yeah. for this tweet. That's what I do, Troy. I write press releases to send to other people. Uh, no, it's funny. Actually, the the night that I had posted it, like it had gotten quite a number of retweets by that point. And uh, before we went to bed for the night, my wife was like, I bet you're going to get calls tomorrow from somebody who wants to do a story about this. And sure enough, the next morning, that's exactly what happened. Um, got calls from uh, at least uh, Global Edmonton and, and, and a couple of others uh, messaged about it, um, wanting to do stories. And so that was kind of interesting because um, it highlights a little bit of how the sausage is made. Yeah. So I think the important thing to recognize here is the story's not interesting. No. It's dude is at an LRT station and takes a picture of a sign. Um Granted, yeah, we should do LRT stations better, and I've never been to an LRT station with a working escalator, but <laughs> it's not, that's not really what's interesting to me. What's interesting to me is the reaction to this story, and like you said, how the sausage gets made. So, like, when they heard you were this having the story, they obviously consulted experts about uh, elevator maintenance, and then they reached out to appropriate city staffers to get comment, and then made sure to have an in-person interview to get all the context right? Oh, what a perfect world that would be. Uh, no, this illustrates that, you know, in as is common these days, what happens is journalists will be looking on Twitter and other social media sites, Reddit for story ideas, and they'll latch onto them and they'll publish something that they think is going to get some clicks because let's face it, uh, 
couple of yuppies, as we were called online, complaining about a broken elevator is sure to get some people riled up on the internet, which is going to drive page views, which is going to sell ads. Uh, so that's really how this works. And uh, so no, there was no interview with the city staff inside the article. They didn't have an opportunity to respond to my comments. Uh, my comments were just taken verbatim and published, which in this case I was quite happy with because I got to say <laughs> what I wanted to say about this issue, right? And it wasn't like, oh, woe is me. It was more like, you know, this is a significant problem problem that we should be thinking about if we want to get people out of their cars, transit has to work. And yes, I could have looked at the open data catalog before I left the house to see if the elevator was shut down, but who checks before they get in their car where they're going? It needs to be that simple. You need to not have to think about it. You just get on the train and you go. Um, so I got to say some of those things, which was fantastic, but um, probably the city of Edmonton should have had an opportunity to respond to it. The interesting thing I found is you had the response on Reddit. That's where I browse and read comments. But one of the commenters was basically like, oh, you know, you should have just carried the stroller up the stairs. And the next person logically replies, well, what if it's a wheelchair? To which the initial commenter says, you know, oh, if, if they wanted to he learn about wheelchair users, they should have interviewed a wheelchair user. And I'm just like, guys, that's not how media works. Mac basically wrote a story the journalist took quotes and published them. It's not an expose on elevators. It's right. just, this is a tweet. They turned this around in a couple of hours, probably, right? It's a bit of content for the website. Um, I would like to read a couple of the comments that I found on Global, if that's okay Please with do. You. Uh, yeah. Mean tweets or mean Facebook comments. So they used it their whole lives, and the one day it's down, they need to contact a news outlet. That's so pathetic. Really? Honestly, Mac. There were two of you. Carry the goddamn stroller. Uh... Had you read the story, that's exactly what we did. It is way too much to expect an internet commentator to read the article. And my favorite comment of all, this is uh, just like shows how people have no inhibitions on the internet. Somebody commented and said, should have got knocked up by a dude who drove. <laughs> that I like that one. If that doesn't tell you about the car culture that we have in Edmonton, I don't know. So um, you snuck in some plugs right at the start. I'm going to sneak in some plugs too. So we're talking a little bit on journalism in the city. Uh, is there any organization that strives to do better? Funny, you should ask. Uh, I mean, at Taproot Edmonton, we really do. We, we are doing in-depth stories that are based on things that people have asked about. And we're not just looking to sell ads. We don't have any ads on our stories. We don't chase page views. So we have the opportunity to go deeper into things. And as it happens, our most recent story is all about the car culture that our city has now and how it was developed. And we looked back at how did it come to be and what can we do about it and how similar are we to other cities? So there is some local journal hope for local journalism. Speaking of hope, uh, one day I hoped that I would get some data back on my open data requests. And this week there was a lot about open data and FOIP and none of it was good. Uh, so I think the place to start is today at the Community and Public Services Committee, it came back the report about traffic collisions and opening up that data. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with this, essentially, Open data advocates want to know when collisions occur and are they with pedestrians and where did they occur? So we can crunch the numbers and we can determine which areas of the city are not safe. Pretty laudable goal. I have requested this data several times. Several people I know have requested it several times. I think Matthew Dance wrote an editorial in the journal about this back in March. Yeah, so this has been years coming and essentially the line from the city is always 
well, we don't own this data. It's owned by the province. And they says we can't release it because of privacy concerns. And this came to a head this week when the media started picking it up. There was a report coming back to council and everyone asked the question, well, Calgary releases this data 10 minutes after the collision happens. So why can't Edmonton? Right. And, and they had a good reason, right? No, <laughs> uh, it was it was a surreal meeting today. Essentially, the city administration said, well, we don't we can't speak for Calgary, but this is definitely illegal. The province doesn't allow us to do this. Uh, and then one of the city managers speculated that Calgary might be having another source of this data. He elaborated essentially that the province owns when you like get in a collision and you file a police report right. and you give that to the police officer, the province owns that data and it's subject to privacy concerns. Even though it's the Edmonton Police Service and the Calgary Police Service. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I bumped on that, too. Um, I wasn't there, so I couldn't ask the questions. And even if I was there, I'm not a counselor. Good job, Ward 11. <laughs> um, the other sort of line of questioning that brought up was basically like, OK, well, who is this trying to protect? Right. Like when a pedestrian is hit, all news organizations immediately scoop it up and usually identify the person by name, too. So what is having information of, you know, on 112th Street and 96th Ave, a individual was hit by a car at 4.30 p.m.? Like that, that isn't personally identifiable information. Right. And it's all matter of public record anyway. So administration didn't really have answers to that either. I mean, I will say I do appreciate that um, there's some consideration for privacy. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt here and say that it's not just an excuse. Maybe mm -hmm. it's an excuse. Um, I do think that we should consider privacy, but in this case, I completely agree with you. It, it's not protecting anyone and that data should be made available. It can have a much bigger impact if it's made available, as you say, for people to crunch and do things with than it is trying to protect some individual whose name is already going to be published anyway. So one of the things you had mentioned on Twitter, I believe, is that you were hoping counselors really took a backbone and took some, asked some hard questions of administration on this. Uh, they didn't. I'm going to give the counselors a bit of benefit of the doubt here. There was a motion tabled that basically said, okay, we're going to discuss this at council and we're going to ask the mayor to write a letter to the province asking them to release this data. So maybe it would have been pointless to debate it today because... They're going to debate it next week. They're going to debate it next week anyway. Or they'll just say, yeah, a letter sounds great and not debate it. I'm only sort of joking here. The thing that I would have wanted council to do is just release the data. Like, what is the province going to do? If you as a city violate FOIP and release data about collisions, like, is the province going to unincorporate the city of Edmonton? Or maybe they'll sue you and it'll go to a court and we'll realize that this data should have been open in the first place. Yeah. I, like, what's the downside to just releasing the data? I mean, we could ask Calgary. How is it going for them? They're clearly publishing that this That was somehow. the thing that really drove me insane is the onus of bringing this all into public conversation was because Councillor Henderson made an inquiry asking why we don't release this data. Right. So when you make a counselor inquiry, it's several weeks of lead time. I believe it's six weeks for administration to generate a response. So they have plenty of time to do some research. Right. One of the pieces of research they didn't think to do is, hmm, is anyone else the other big city in the province releasing it? Yes, Calgary is. And where, why? How? Yeah. The, the ants, there was nothing in the report about Calgary. They didn't think to say, hmm, this is what Calgary is doing. And doesn't it feel like this is a bit of an aside that that should just be a default question. Whenever yeah. we're looking at something, it's like, has Calgary done this already? What can we learn? 
that is what makes me believe that the city doesn't necessarily want to release this data. For the most part, I'm comfortable giving them the benefit of the doubt. They're just following their legal due diligence. Sure. But to not do their due diligence here, it seems like an incredibly boneheaded omission. But we'll find out at council, I suppose, next week what's going to happen there. And you're still waiting for your data sets. Yeah. So open data is something dear, near and dear to my heart. And Mine too. One of the things that really irked me this week, and I, I struggle with this because the open data team in the city of Edmonton, there's two of them and they're really great people. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. They've actually won a bunch of awards for the work that they've done nationally. Like they've been recognized for their efforts. Yeah. So like I really struggle when I have to rag on them as I have to do right now. But they sent me a tweet. It says, Making a request for open data via the official channel, you know, will at least elevate awareness of its need eternally or internally. It may not happen overnight, open bracket, team of two, but if the data is collected, it will be released. To which I say, nah. Um, so one of the data sets I've requested, and this is all personal experience, is ODR 17161. What it is is, and these are sorry, these are public, right? Yes. Anyone can go see that you've requested. Anyone this. can go see and that how long it's been this. there. Yeah, in August of uh, seventeen. Right. So all the data set w- requests is on the city of Edmonton website. There's a spreadsheet that says the items due. So when reports are coming back to council, right? Some city of Edmonton employee goes through and physically updates it in a Google Doc somewhere. I said, hey, can that employee also put them into open data? The open data team said, no, we're replacing the entire minute system. And once that's replaced, then we'll look at addressing this request. And I'm like, well, great. But in the interim, can we just get this spreadsheet in this other URL? I'm like, no, we can't um, because we're an automated system. So we need to have a data source to pull from. This is enigmatic of we have city policy C581, which says the city is open by default which means all data should be open. And what the city manager has been saying is that there's a culture of openness instilled in the city of Edmonton. If your culture is open, you should be training that staff who is updating the spreadsheet to also put it in the open data catalog. If your culture is open data permeates, you don't need a team of two. Remember, the city has 15,000 employees. If only two of them are capable of releasing data in open formats, you don't have a culture of openness. Right. So someone is pissing on my leg and telling me it's raining. And I'm not sure who it is, but it's definitely someone. And this seems to be a more pervasive problem, not just around open data, but this idea that we're going to do this thing at the future at some point. So let's just halt all progress in the meantime. That's a huge problem. Especially with a city. You know, there's the common idiom, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. Right. Um, in the city's case, we know the city is never going to get perfect. It's don't let good be the enemy of done. Right. Um, uh, some of the other open data requests that I've released, I've asked for speed limits in the city of Edmonton. Nothing. Uh, that one's been active for about two years. I've asked for counselor attendance records at committee meetings. That one's been active for almost three years. Still nothing there. I have a large swath of data set requests and to date, not a single one of them has been opened. So the city's done a good job of opening up a large number of open data sets, but just not necessarily the ones people are asking for. And we had Elise Stolte every week just nailing it. She's in this podcast a lot. But she had mentioned, and it was a really salient point, that you know we've increased the number of FOIP requests made to the city, and the city is boasting about it's releasing more data. Right. But the data it's releasing isn't the 
isn't the data that's answering the questions that Edmontonians have. So we're touting this culture of openness when we're releasing where picnic tables are in the city of Edmonton, which great. I'm glad we have that. I wouldn't argue that we shouldn't have that, but I would rather have stuff that allows us to materially build and influence our city. Things to understand the decisions that are being made, the upcoming decisions, and to properly engage on them for sure. One of the things that caught my eye in the article was there's a chart that... um, came from the city clerk's office that showed the growth and freedom of information request to the city. Uh, and it's from 2012 to 2018. And it, it goes up significantly from just under 400 to just over 800. So more than doubling in that period. And, and, um, the, the clerk is quoted basically as saying that it's something to celebrate because more people are engaging in the democratic system. Cool. Like is submitting a FOIP request participating in the democratic system it feels like a bit of a stretch Uh, i could understand that in a city that didn't have an open data catalog or city policy c581 if you have no other way to get data from the city sure using the law to access your data that could be called engaging right in our case using the foip is endematic of a failure of our openness policy because like Elise mentions in her article, she doesn't want to submit FOIP requests. She just wants the data to be available so that Edmontonians can answer the questions they want answered. The best part about that part of the article with the city clerks is it says 12 people work in the corporate access and information division. You know, you can look at the policy, you can look at the talk, but look at the budget and that will reveal where your city's priorities truly lie. Right. We say we have a culture of openness and we have two openness people. We are not funding openness, and the city, in irrelevant reports last week, is just constantly touting, oh, we're award-winning for openness. We're the most open city in Canada. And I thought it was pretty salient that the discussion about Calgary releasing the collision statistics, Calgary is neither a Vision Zero city, nor is it the most open city in Canada, and yet it is releasing in open formats the data needed to actually materially advance Vision Zero just goes you to show that Edmonton we like to talk a lot and Calgary just kind of quietly and calmly gets it done um also gets number one in the Pacific Division so Calgary rubbing in salt in the wound (laughs) time to move um but that's about all that we have time for this week of course we have enough time to plug ATB's Perch the podcast. It's hosted by Rob Roach of ATB's economic and research team. He connects with the experts, influencers, and big thinkers who are shaping our province. Uh, Each series connects to the topic of the most recent issue of Perch, a research publication published by ATB. Uh, The current series is about the economic value of post-secondary education. And oh boy, is that paper worth a lot these days. Uh, Tune in to find out how much. Learn more by visiting atb.com slash economics and clicking on Birch. And that's all for this week. Mac, do you have anything else to add? We already plugged Taproot. We, we plugged it quite a bit this well, yeah, episode. We, we got the plugs right in the middle. And timer says it's only like under 30 minutes. We can just relax, tell a couple jokes, um, knock, knock. Who's there? Really should have thought of a knock, knock <laughs> joke before I started this. <laughs> Um, That's all. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Man, I should have had a knock-knock joke, (laughs) Adam.